0: Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Drink, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host, David Bernstein. Today, we have Emmett Gardner with us. He is the First president of Students Unite, which is an organization under Parents Unite and affiliated with FIRE. We know FIRE well. We've our friend Bonnie Snyder there. So, Emmett, I'm looking forward to hearing more about Students Unite and how that got started. But before I know that, you do have a drink of water because you're not allowed to have an alcoholic drink yet. But it's in a FIRE bottle.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. So, you are showing your colors. David, what do you have?
2: i got Starbucks, so I started to disappoint.
0: <laughs> well, okay, you know already that January is dry for me. So I'm 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 keeping it real now. I've got a cherry lime spike seltzer. So I, the next time David and I do this, I don't know what it's gonna be. It's dry.
2: It's a yeah, it's a dry podcast.
0: <laughs> it's, well not not today. Anyways, all right. I'm,
2: a, I'm on a low carb diet, just so you know so that means that i'm also not going to be doing alcohol in january
0: okay all right wait wait wait, wait. i've got to ask you something first though did you start your low carb diet before the holidays
2: i did i just wanted a little bit of sort of run up credibility for my diet like if i start on january 1 it's so cliche and then you don't and you're but everybody's on a diet on january 1 and then you then you actually get off of it two weeks so i wanted to be able to prove myself like 10 days before January one that I was going to make some progress. So that's what I've done.
0: I I, I, I like that a lot. You know, i have to tell you, I get really, as a, as a gym rat myself, when I go to the gym on January one, I get really angry. Cause I'm like, really, you know, it's just so, so crowded. Right. Two, two weeks later,
2: you're like, okay, right. yeah, that really. That would be me showing up <laughs> to the gym for January one. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'll see about my dry January. So. All right, enough about our alcohol and low-carb diet and things that you don't have to worry about at this point right now as a senior in high school, but you started, or the first president of uh, Students Unite under President, uh, see, I can't, this is already, I haven't even had a sip of my drink. Under Parents Unite with FIRE, tell us a little bit about Students Unite and what you stand for.
1: Right, so thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, Students Unite is a network of students uh, who learn the importance of our three principles, which are open inquiry, viewpoint diversity, and normalized dissent in K-12 education. And they work to advocate for those principles through setting up clubs, uh, holding events, and um, generally just doing it in their classrooms. Uh, which is uh, an important aspect of maintaining a, a culture of disagreement that we want to uh, reaffirm in K to 12 education that we see diminishing a bit um, in, in the, in the past few years.
0: I love that, that, that word is a culture of disagreement.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And then you also said something too, that I really like normalize dissent. Can you, mm-hmm. I mean, what does that mean to you? Like what is it? Cause I, For me personally, I think disagreement is a good thing, but we have gotten to the point where disagreement and dissent is frowned upon. So can you elaborate a little bit more on what a culture of disagreement looks like to you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So what we try to do is make sure that everyone is comfortable in disagreeing with each other. And that requires a lot of practice and work. You can't just go at it and start disagreeing with your teachers and peers uh, it It requires a lot of deliberation prior to implementation. but um, the, the the idea is to train kids to um, learn the the correct methods to disagree productively, actually contribute to a conversation instead of doing it in, in a rash way um, and and then and then making sure that a disagreement is um, is tolerated and uh, can it can flourish in an environment of academic inquiry. So we uh, help kids disagree with their friends. If they're in a peer group where um, it's pretty ideological, ideologically homogenous, we help uh, those dissenters, those um, my minorities uh, out. And then also in classrooms as well, disagreeing with uh, teachers is the next step up I, in my eyes. It requires a bit more training, but... Um, In implementation, it's very successful.
2: That's great. How how many young people have you guys been able to reach so far? Is it is it just in its very early stages, or is it at this point you becoming more of a mass movement?
1: It's in its very early stages. Uh, We've um, amassed a a network of around thirty, like really um, committed students who have um, reached around uh, you know, in the neighborhood of a couple thousand kids through um, online uh, communities and starting and clubs and things like that. Um, we have been working with FIRE a lot. Uh, FIRE K-12 through runs um, discourse clubs and we've been mm-hmm. trying to set those up across the country and their page has had um, a few hundred thousand um, people visit every year or so. So um, we're, we're We're building up. It it is in its infant stages, but uh, you know we're we're trying to gain that momentum.
2: You find that the students that you've been able to reach so far are ideologically inclined in one direction or the other. Are they? Do they tend to be center right or center left, or is it about equal?
1: It is about equal, and this is something that we've we're very proud of um, at Students United is maintaining a. a pretty equal ideologue, um, of, of sample size of student generally though, um, you know, people who are turned off by the organization might see it as, um, a, a conservative or right-wing thing just because of the grounds that, that Parents Unite has and, um, just dif- different, sometimes the loudest voice in the room is a conservative given that, um, the, um, Academia tends to lean left in a lot of ways, and that's a a lot of a lot of our focus is on that. But we make an effort to um, to make sure that our arguments uh, rely on viewpoint diversity and inclusion, rather than subtraction of ideas and um, you know shutting down anything uh, that that would be considered of the other side. So we actively try to encourage more left-leaning uh, students to join, and they're they comfortable in the organization. A lot of times they agree with the ideas that we are um, trying to prevent from infiltrating the classroom yeah, as orthodoxy, but they recognize the importance of um, a, a, an, an objective education, so they're able to um, still advocate against that even though they agree with it.
0: Tell us a little bit about, for those listeners who don't know, about the parent organization, Parents Unite, and how they started and then how it has evolved to include Students Unite.
1: So Parents Unite um, was founded, I believe, uh, quite recently um, by a group of parents who are um, seriously concerned with the, uh, the the lack of viewpoint diversity in their kids' education. And um, we, we've seen the the Parents Unite uh, group grow significantly over the past um, few months, as well as we, we, we recently had a conference in Boston, and I believe we're gonna have one um, again in the coming years, uh, hopefully. Great but, conference, by the way. It was excellent. Yeah, it, it was. It was mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they really pulled that one off very nicely. But I got in contact with Parents Unite through FIRE. I was working uh, on the discourse clubs with them. And uh, they, they they were welcoming of students. They really wanted the student perspective on these issues because a lot of times it is the teachers and the parents talking. And that's the entirety of the conversation basically so nobody gets the student perspective that much um everyone it's almost like they're pawns so what parents unite is trying to do with students unite is uh take a step back and start to include the population that is affected most by the problem that they're seeing
2: if you um if you had a student who felt that they were being sort of indoctrinated on some of the issues of the day. I mean, obviously we talk, whether you call it critical race theory or not, um, you know, sort of uh, getting a racial essentialist point of view at school. Would you coach them through how to deal with that? Um, how, How are you preparing students to deal with these conversations that are more often than not being sort of imparted in a in a single voice, in a single viewpoint?
1: Well, we always start from the perspective that these voices and these positions have a place in the classroom. It's the method in which they're presented to students that we are advocating Mm -hmm. against. So if you disagree with the opinion, that's not enough for me to help you. You have to really have an issue with the way that the, School is presenting it to the students. If maybe they're severely waving the conversation, so only the um, one certain idea gets presented and the other one is just defamed. Uh, maybe there is they're not fostering enough of a culture of disagreement, so you have to supplement your own um, dissent into the conversation. That's things that we can help on. Uh, we don't we don't provide arguments for people to argue against. Critical race theory at all. Um, and, and it's it's really about maintaining the, the purpose of education, which is to fill the children with a nuanced understanding of the world's issues. And you can't do that when there's only one voice in the classroom.
0: So give an example of have you come across a situation where you've had to come in as Students Unite and train, counsel, mentor? What did that look like?
1: Right, so chiefly, uh, our biggest concerns are with helping students um, feel as though they are confident in bringing up other positions. A lot of times they already have these positions, they're articulated in their heads um, to some degree, um, but they are not experienced enough to actually bring it up in the classroom so probably uh you know we've dealt uh, a lot of times with students who are in classrooms that are everyone in the, in in the in the room repeats the same dog it's just not fulfilling as a class, and um it's honestly quite um, like disrespectful to the uh, the the notion of intellectual inquiry so so that's what turns them off and that's what drives them away from the conversation so we help them enhance the, the, the classroom environment by bringing in those uh, opposing um, sides. So for example, there was uh, one girl at this um, school in Massachusetts who uh, was in this class who that um, almost every day they would have a discussion about a, a, a topical issue. I, I believe it was like a civics class. and. Um, it, it was just one one side being represented in the classroom. Nothing that uh, you know would be out of the ordinary, unfortunately, in in um, many of the cases that we deal with. So we helped her um, develop a, a sort of way of presenting her ideas. Uh, here's what not to do. Here, here's what uh, you should do. And uh, over the span of a couple months, I think that uh, the classroom is much more ripe. With dissent, uh, she she first kind of uh, raised an a, an a contrary position to the prevailing notion, and then as we had predicted, other kids started to um, disagree with the prevailing notion as well. So that made her more, more comfortable, and now I think the classroom is uh, much more productive. So that was one of our successes, and we're very proud of that.
2: Um. So, you know, to to know how to dissent from a prevailing opinion, means that you have to have a sense of what the range of opinions are. So, for example, if you went to a school, um, you're a high school senior, you're in social studies class um, or government class, and they they discuss Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and that's the only thing you're teaching. For you to be able to ask your teacher to present the more rounded Perspective, you'd have to be able to know that John McWhorter just came out with a new book called Woke Racism. Is that part of what you do to equip students to be able to have these conversations?
1: Absolutely. We we make sure that no student brings up nuance until they understand. So they have to understand when uh, the, they, the nuance is not being respected. There is a homogeny in the classroom. And uh, their dissent would actually add something to the room, right? so that's something that they have to understand. A lot of times, there's a miscalculation in there, and um, they they provide some sort of disagreement when it's not it's not welcome. And the second thing they have to understand is um, the actual subject matter and how to raise the uh, the the notion that would be most um, productive for the conversation. Uh, a lot of times kids, when they first start out, they, they go on um, these dramatic like uh, anecdotes and they talk about all these different things. So we, we, we make sure that they are focused. We try to promote um, scholarship, academ- academics um, in, in, in the sense that we, we provide books, materials, and recommendations um, for any kid struggling with uh, any sort of homogeny in their friend groups or otherwise. So in your example, Um, If a kid was in a classroom and they were teaching how to be an anti-racist and they came to us, we would provide them books by Thomas Sewell, uh, John McWhorter, um, people like that. On the other hand, we've had kids come to us who are in um, right-wing friend groups, not necessarily in school, of course, but um, in friend groups that are only reading John McWhorter, if at all, they're just watching um, Fox or whatever – we would provide them um, candy or um, some some sort of nuance. We, we're looking for nuance, um, not necessarily anything like that. But we're not going to help anyone who's not interested in learning the material first.
2: One of the things that I've been challenged with is this notion that if you if you try to open up discussion, you're going to also be opening it up for very radical views as well. So one example is uh, an educator in Texas stated that with the new Texas law in place, now means that we have to teach multiple perspectives on whether the Holocaust happened. And that created a huge, firestorm. And people said, see, you're saying that, um, that we shouldn't teach a single view on race and racism. So therefore now you've opened it up to multiple views on the Holocaust. Um, how do you, have you gotten that particular concern? And if you have, or how did you deal with it? And if you haven't, how would you deal with it when it inevitably inevitably comes your way?
1: Right. So I I strongly believe in, um, the invisible hand of the free marketplace of ideas, and um, what, what that main, what that prescribes is that in a culture of open inquiry, the strongest beliefs should prevail. And if you are wasting resources on a position that is um, entirely ridiculous by any any modern standard right? any any objective academic standard that that would be shutting off conversation a waste of resources and shouldn't be tolerated so so th- th- there's a um, a level of mutual respect and and toleration when you're having a conversation with someone some topics of course are going to be off limit as always um but there are constraints and limitations but tremendous virtues uh with uh having a a free exchange of ideas and i i I do not believe that um the radical voices will be amplified in a culture of disagreement the only thing uh, i i believe that the radical voices will be uh only argued against uh, more productively basically so so let's say you have this rash opinion and you're bringing it up in a culture of disagreement, you're going to be shut down quite quickly. And, and um, in the culture that we provide, you learn how to change your mind with new evidence.
0: So I've got a question for you. Um, I love this. Again, I like the idea of the culture of disagreement. I think that this a value that we've really um, not put enough weight on. One of the things that I've been learning lately that i I love, and it's I, I guess is we're we're kind of in the new year. this is something that I'm really working on is sometimes when I'm in a discussion, I have to remember it's not a debate, and I'm not there necessarily to win, but to learn. And I feel like so often we get in these discussions and they become heated and they become this win, this zero sum game. You know, you're you're in it to win it. And when it's set up as a debate, I think your brain automatically is like you've got to all of a sudden, even if you came in to the conversation with good intentions, you know, your brain is, is kind of hard. We're all hardwired, I think, to, to to win. And I think that's one of the things that I think, though, is missing. And it's been a revelation for me, I'd say, within the past couple of months of where I, was, I And I've even talked to my son, who is your age, Emmett. We were having a conversation over uh, Christmas. And I said, this is, I had to stop him and say, this is a discussion. I'm not trying to win anything. You know, this is not not a debate. And And I honestly, just even by saying that, it took the temperature down of the discussion, which was a heated discussion, but a discussion nonetheless. I mean, are those the kind of tools also that you are trying to work with in the school? Because I I do feel like disagreement doesn't have to be debate. Disagreement can still be discussion. And you can respect disagreement, you know, and and come away and and feel like you've learned something even if you haven't changed your mind.
1: Exactly. Uh, My my personal background uh, before I got involved with FIRE was actually in competitive debate. And I found it just, horrendously unproductive. I was disgusted at how much effort uh, the teachers, the administration, and the students, you know, put into an activity that that didn't really result in any any, uh, intellectual advancement or learning. You didn't really change your mind when when you try to win trophies or or go to competitions and and compete with other schools. So I, I found that extremely unproductive and I actually I became president of the debate club and I turned it into a discourse club which is operating pretty much on conversation and
2: nice. respectful
1: disagreement and we attracted a lot of the kids that were turned off by the uh, the elitist high school debate culture which prevails in a lot of schools so they were put off by this sport of debate which a lot of them saw it, and they joined uh, this new we had a diverse range of opinions lots of different people joined and uh we had tremendous conversations and people actually learned to understand each other and um ha- how productive disagreement really can be um, i think the the boston we're, we're working with the boston globe we're going to do a story on the club i ran because there was two students uh who during the actual debate club i was friends with them both they were as ideologically distant as you can imagine. And they could not even cooperate with each other. They were so, they were so, you know, disagreed with each other, move on, like whatever. It it was awful. And then uh, they both joined the Discourse Club after I changed it. And they're very good friends now. So the Boston Globe is going to do something on that soon, I hope. Um, but, But that's really what happens. You build friendships. You learn to understand each other. That's what's missing in these schools and the culture uh, that, that we promote in schools with the debate clubs and the, the orthodoxy just amplifies and, and uh, really limits our ability to get along with each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, that brings up something I've been um, waiting to ask you about is, is how, how you got into this. So you answered that a little bit. With And I love that. So you turn a debate club into a discourse club. That is awesome. And I know that FIRE has discourse clubs as well. Is that right? Are they called discourse clubs within FIRE that they help to promote? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, debate. here's the thing, though. What's so interesting, Emmett, is that debate has been, I mean, it's been a part of our education system forever. It's just and debate is win or lose, usually. But it's just the, 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 the world that we live in now has become so contentious that we've forgotten. we've It's okay. Debate is okay. We've forgotten discourse in the process of debate. Anyways, that, that was my little, like, soapbox there. Um, stepping down from that, tell us about, like, how you got involved in this in the first place. I mean, you're a senior in high school. What drew, drew you to Parents Unite and Fire? and to this passion to turn debate into discourse
1: right so i was always sort of um interested in politics and um kept up with um current events and things like that um but once i started going getting into the early years of high school i started actually um you know putting more effort into it i would read books um constantly i had shelves and shelves of these uh, papers and and things like that. I started to really get into the weeds of philosophy, economics, um, politics, things like that. And um, unprompted by the school, I I was pretty much on my own um, will. And once I started to acquire a, uh, a nuanced understanding of the issue, I could see where the school was lacking in a lot of ways. So I started to see that the school was not upholding the same level of viewpoint diversity as i would expect or any any anyone would expect uh, an educational institution to uphold um so it, it was kind of a revelation for me I, I was a bit disturbed in a lot of ways and, and i started to see the effects on my friends and things like that i was i wanted to do something about it um, so i joined the debate club I, I was part of the debate club my whole high school career i uh, turned that into the discourse club and started to see our methods and our environment work really well with uh, the exact demographic of students that we needed, uh, which was the students that were interested in politics, maybe had their own opinions, um, but uh, were either ideologues in that respect or couldn't really voice them, weren't comfortable with talking about them with other people. So we had tremendous success in my own high school. And then uh, I reached out to Fire. Um, it, it was actually a, a bit of a hiccup with the school because we tried to set up a uh, a middle school chapter of our high school branch because middle school was right next door because we wanted to um, to run a, a middle school exercise with the kids help them understand um, you know how to disagree with each other things like that I thought it would be very productive especially at that age they need something like this you know, once they go into high school, they might, um, you know, fall into whatever political group that most appeals to them at that moment. And then, you know, that's just a snowball. So we wanted to prevent that from happening. Uh, we went to the school and they said, no, uh, you can't set up a discourse club because they had already had a social justice club at the school and that counts as discourse. So that was um, quite disturbing for us at the moment. And we, we started to fire and started to become, uh, di- we, we disattached ourselves from that school and uh, got in contact with Parents Unite and started Students Unite from there.
2: That That's interesting that they would regard a social justice club as being the same as a discourse club. I mean, it just yeah. shows that they don't really understand what either are. But, um, you know, I want to push back by this, by the way, a little bit on this idea of debate versus discourse. <laughs> as uh, Jennifer Dave. knows, <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of debate, but not necessarily the kind of debate that, that you do in a lot of high schools or colleges, the kind of rehearsed debate, but rather sort of more, um, you know, argumentation, the kind of th- where, where two people or three people or whatever are sitting around and they're talking about an issue and they're just going back and forth. And um, I just had on another podcast, uh, Rob Lighton, who is uh, a Brookings Institution scholar, has written a book on debate-centered education. And he believes that in, uh, you can teach almost any subject better, including math and science, by setting up debates among students to go back and forth and think through issues. And that's that teaches you a method of thinking, that uh, critical thinking that can serve you on any set of subjects and throughout life. Um, and I, I regard that, by the way, it's not different from discourse, it's just a kind of discourse. Um, and I'm wondering if you've thought about that and how if you have thought about how discourse and debate intersect.
1: Absolutely. Um, w- one of the, the key differences I- I've seen with, between debate and discourse is debate is more exercise fo- focused and uh, you know, helping you develop the, um, the analytics and the machinery behind making the arguments um, and speaking and things like that. And discourse is presenting your own views and um, trying to have conversations with people. And I do see a clear overlap there. I, I try to encourage, you um, know, exercises that we do. Um, I try to encourage kids not to take their own position as as much as they would like to, and uh, really understand why putting ideas in conflict with each other produces a um, a an excellent educational environment and educational outcome for them. So, so there's significant in, uh, overlap the part of debate that I want to dispose of is the competitiveness.
2: Right. You know, it just, I think in some ways it's, it's a bit of a semantics issue because I think we're talking about really two very different kinds of uh, debate, the debate, the formal style of debate that you would, that you would do in a high school club versus the sort of more freestyle debate that you might do with your friends. And I think actually it's that latter form that needs uh, more attention to, because I think that helps us become better thinkers.
0: All right. So, you know, David, you talk a lot about, you just said something that I think really hit for me, hit the nail on the head because you talk a lot about debate and you've, through you, I've learned a lot about debate culture and, 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 and you know, Jewish society and Jewish culture. But I really do think when you, when I hear you talk about debate, I think it really is discourse because it, it is this, Culture, let me go back to what Emmett said, is a culture of disagreement, right? which it that, is. that is a good thing. It doesn't have to be, to disagree doesn't have to be a de- de- debate. I mean, I think debate sets up exactly what Emmett said, this, someone has to win, right. you know, at, versus learning or even disagreeing. I mean, you can disagree without winning. So I I, I do think it, maybe it is semantics,
2: Right. You know, Rob and the guy who I interviewed at uh, at Brookings, told me that he was a uh, high school and college debater, very high level. I think he probably was in the Ivies and all that. And he said that in his day, going back a long time ago, probably like 50 years, um, de- the debate was not uh, this formal process, it was actually just people arguing over key issues at the time, and it became a more formalistic process later so that's what he believes needs to be done as an education tool. I completely agree with that, and I don't mean when I say debate, I literally don't even think about that style of debate that many high school and college students are doing, and maybe that's maybe the the calling a discourse makes sense because so many other people do think of it in that way
1: they do they do.
2: Yeah, and so, wait, David, that's
0: interesting to me. Did he light out that transition? Like, is there a timeline for when debate became debate as we know it now in that competitive
2: vein? I think he said about 30 years ago. It started to change, and I—that's I, when I, when I was in college, I briefly tried out, dabbled in formal debate, and which was really—I thought it was okay. We're going to go around and, and, and you know, argue like I grew up arguing around the dinner table, mm-hmm. and that's not what it was at all. It was that you, you, you get a. Like a, a phrase, and then you have to take positions on it. You prepare speeches, and it's more about speech. and I agree; it's more about winning and not about learning to make effective arguments that help people understand each other and to really force you to to think deeply about all points of view and make sure that that you're that you become a stronger thinker and a stronger arguer as you go along. And I think that's mm-hmm. it's a really important skill set. So on that note, on this, this
0: culture of, of disagreement and on these discourse clubs. Uh, so obviously what I heard from you Emmett was it was your foray into creating the Discourse Club that then got you in touch with FIRE that then got you in touch with Parents Unite. How is that idea of Discourse Club? Is it, is it I know you said at the very beginning to David's question that you have about 30 students. But this idea of discourse clubs, how's that going? I mean, is there more than just your school? How, I mean, I know that fire also has to, you know, promotes discourse clubs. Where is that right now? Um, going into 2022.
1: Right. So we set up a, a discourse club uh, based on our ideas. And then, um, a few months later, we got in touch with fire who we didn't even know had discourse clubs. So, um, we, we were thrilled that they were setting up a network. Um, that network is um, very much in its infancy right now. And the problem I see is it's extremely hard to get these clubs set up, especially when you're concerning discourse, is because, because you have to go through the administration first mm-hmm. in the teachers. And we, I've already had a lots of problems trying to convince them the importance of a discourse club. And I imagine that that can be replicated through a lot of places. So Fire has had um lot lots of problems getting these set up, specifically because they go through the um the administrators who want nothing to do with establishing a club that would you know may, maybe would voice any opinion that that might go against their social justice club. So what I see is um the avenue. It, um, is going through the students. So that's part of the reason why I set up students unite. And this is one of the club options and resources we have available to all our members is, uh, the discourse clubs. We, we, we push that on them, making sure that they are setting up these type of clubs in their school, get them excited about, um, purposing the, uh, the debate environments that they may already have in their school. So, um, this is the angle that I that I'm attacking and I think that uh, could yield some some pretty good uh, Fruitful discussions and some some significant weight. I do not think it's viable to go through the teachers
0: So when you're going through the students, are you primarily uh, Targeting those who might be already in a debate club for starting a discourse club
1: oftentimes we are and um Part of that, part of why that's successful is um, we're pointing out what could be and what they have, and um, they can pretty clearly see the stark contrast between them. A lot of times uh, they do not want to get involved with the discourse club because they're already invested in the competitiveness and they've already been to competitions and things like that. But there are many high schools that have debate clubs similar to the ones that the one that I had in my high school that are pretty much idle and um, m- might do like a, a debate now and then um, with within themselves or go to a competition once a year, but um, really want to be part of something meaningful. And this is what we're pushing with the discourse clubs is you are advancing the your own intellectual interests, the idea of a liberal education, and uh, nothing could be more virtuous than that. So this is what we're pushing with that.
2: Yeah, Emmett, I I know you talked a little bit about your background, how you ended up doing this, but I want to sort of go deeper than that. What about your worldview, your your upbringing led you to the point where you would be willing to do something that sort of goes against the grain of the current uh, social moment, where we're told more often than not you should believe a single point of view?
1: Growing up, I um – always had that uh, that disagreement, you know, gene, I guess, in, in me to, to some extent. Um, you know, we, we always had these debates and disagreements and um, I, I have always found them um, not only fun uh, it, it, to some degree, but uh, a, an experience to, uh, an opportunity to learn and um, a way to advance my own uh, understanding of the world, and uh, I used to get that at a lot of family gatherings and um, instances like that have brought me to the conclusion that um, having a conflict, like a, a rich conflict of ideas, is is most uh, viable for for the advancement of education and should be implemented as much as possible, as you were saying, uh, with the Brookings individual.
0: So David and I, I say this with love, Emmett, um, David and I consider ourselves kind of a band of misfits, if you will. We've collected around this band of misfits. Do you think that you, like, are you a normal high schooler? Or, I mean, or is this like, did, are you kind of like us where you're a misfit and you're like, yeah, this is this, that, that drove you to go outside of the norm, if you will. Cause I, I, I don't think from what you're telling me, that you are normal—I use scare quotes, normal. <laughs> um, I don't want to label you as—I labeled David and I because we already labeled ourselves as misfits. But you know, I mean, are you? Do you find a lot of other students your age who are like, yeah, let's like let's do this discourse thing?
1: I, I do think that that I am more of a misfit. So you are welcome to uh, refer to me as that. But I I, I, um, I think that there is potential. I, I'm not pessimistic about the, the student body and advancing discourse, the ideas of discourse. What they need is a, a student who is already familiar with the Reasons behind discourse and viewpoint diversity and culture and normalized dissent to persuade them and, uh, you know, plant that seed in their heads, and then it will flourish. This this is what happened to to me to some extent with um, a a, a few individuals I had who influenced me. But I've noticed it throughout my own high school. I, um, you know, start to tell kids what I'm doing and, and start to provide nuance in classrooms, like on a, on a, um, on the ground level, like as it's happening during, during class discussions. And they, they start to, uh, to realize dissent, how important dissent is. And, and they start, they start to realize that maybe I should be doing more of this disagreement. This, this conflict of ideas will actually help me, even if I don't agree with what the people are saying. And um, so, so, I do believe that the potential is there, but the problem is the educational, uh, contemporary educational environment and culture is, is not letting that get too much traction as is. So they need student leaders on that front.
0: Well, you're about ready to go to university. You're a senior. So we've seen that universities don't really provide that, that environment lately either. So what are your concerns in heading to university? If you're heading to university, I haven't asked that yet. And if you are, do you plan on carrying on this idea of creating discourse clubs in wherever you plan on going?
1: I do. And I do plan on going to uh, university. And I look forward to um, attempting to provide discourse clubs, discourse environments, and spreading uh, this idea uh, uh, that I had, I, I do want to make sure that the uh, the high school uh, students unite discourse clubs do not um, die with me as I go to college. So I'll probably um, remain active in that department. But um, I, to address your, your concern before, that that is something that I've been thinking about is um, how intolerant a lot of um, universities are um, in, in many people's eyes to to viewpoint diversity but I overall I'm optimistic I, I see that there is a lot of potential and um, you know the students are looking for new ideas looking for um, different clubs to join so I, I'm looking forward to it
2: really an important thing you're doing and um, I I just you see you're I, I'm not gonna let this go yet because I' <laughs> um this is the sort of idea that you're optimistic. I mean, I'm gonna let me just make the case. We're we're, we're about like healthy disagreement here, right? So let me just make the case for pessimism for a second. Um, you know that that an ideology. Well, you know you have you have sort of populist ideologies on the right that have taken hold and sort of gotten the right off of the uh, off of the straight and narrow, and you have sort of illiberal ideologies on the left that have really taken hold. And um, and those ideologies are now becoming rapidly institutionalized. You're seeing them take hold in schools, as you know better than we do. Um, you're, and you see a young gen- a generation your age that goes to especially more elite colleges, and they've only really heard one side of these debates. I mean, most of them aren't subjected to discourse. So I'm sure that you're you're coming across a self-selected group of young people who are willing to uh, go back to the drawing board and open up the conversation. But what makes you think that that's scalable? What makes you think that that can be done on a large scale?
1: Well, particularly in high schools, uh, kids are not as uh, marinated in the ideology yet. Um, so they're more willing to uh, open up to have some more ideas. It's not a, a specific group of people. We've done this on replicated it on on many schools and have um, achieved pretty much the same outcome. I, I am concerned more with high, with college age kids because they are more marinated in uh, the illiberal ideas of, of that is that have entrenched the institutions. But the way I see it, and and What makes me more optimistic is uh, more and more colleges are are adopting the Chicago Statement, for example, um, maintaining viewpoint diversity. If a school is remaining, wants to remain a school, you know, in any respect, an educational institution, they cannot institutionalize anything that that would actually put any dissenters at, at risk. And I, I say this with with significant caution because I know that a lot of schools have had um, you know waves of radical students who who kind of influenced the the curriculum and the teachers to some extent, but generally though I I, I believe that the um, first of all the high school student population is a, a rich deposit of students that if we mm-hmm. can tap into them now. And uh, you know, start to educate them on what a school actually should be. They, they can employ them that in college. As for the institutions, I believe that there, are, you know, I mean, there are organizations like Fire um, and um, the Mill Center, for example, is another recently founded organization who, you know, are actively working on this and and making sure that you know that this this culture is not. It doesn't diminish our schools because that's something we need to conserve. So we can't let these schools not become educational anymore. And I don't think that'll happen. Um, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but I think that's pretty—it's uh, pretty long, uh, far off, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm excited that, yeah, to hear your point of view and to and hear to actually to hear that optimism. So, final question then for you, Emmett. Uh, what do you plan on studying
1: in school? Um, mm-hmm. I am going to most likely go into economics as a okay. major. Um, probably do a minor in um, philosophy, or something like that.
0: No, I, I would have. Yeah, with you mentioning philosophy, I, would, that's, I was was going to guess philosophy myself. But economics, okay. It's been such a pleasure. You give you give me hope. <laughs>
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you, MS Nice to meet you, Emmett. Nice to
1: meet you as well.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say Hold My Drink and the conversation gets real.